I'm Chris Johnson and this is ADHD. I'm late diagnosed ADHD, a senior leader and a personal change coach who works with people that want to change their lives for the better. I work with people to understand what is getting in the way of making that change and how they can not only change, but also feel good whilst they're doing that change. I typically work with people over a series of months, but in This Is ADHD, I'm using my coaching skills to have real conversations with real ADHDers about what it's like to have ADHD in a neurotypical world. This is ADHD is about putting a face to the name of ADHD, about showing that ADHD is not just one thing and it shows up in different ways for everyone. In today's episode, we'll be talking about imposter syndrome. Have you ever felt like a fraud? Have you ever felt like you're just one step away from being found out? This is what imposter syndrome is all about. And you're not alone. And we see imposter syndrome in the ADHD community at an even higher rate than we do um, across the globe. Um, my guest today is the inspiring Amy Wilkinson. She's not only conquered burnout and the nagging feeling of being an imposter, but she's also built a successful business, helping others boost their confidence and overcome their imposters. Today, Amy is going to show us the power of embracing our strengths and how we work with our imposter syndrome to not only get it out of the way, but to also help us achieve our goals. Throughout the episode, um, Amy's sharing her own stories, her own journey with imposter syndrome, um, from the feeling of needing to be perfect in senior team meetings to struggling with the pressures of being a mum and dealing with ADHD all at the same time. Um, it's not just a story though. Um, Amy's also kind of talking us through practical strategies and tools that she has used and that she uses with her clients to gain confidence and to overcome self-doubt. Um, plus she'll talk about how she's learned to accept imposter syndrome as a part of herself rather than pushing it away. So if you've ever struggled with imposter syndrome, self-doubt, or juggling the demands of ADHD, today's episode is for you. Get ready to reassess your relationship with your confidence and yourself, and join me as I learn an awful lot from our guest today, Amy. We are here today with Amy Wilkinson, she is a coach helping women to be more confident and she's an ADHD and she's just an all round lovely person. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. That's so lovely of you to say I'm a lovely person. As ADHD is feel that way, don't we? We all think each oh, other's lovely. Yes. Yeah. Not met a bad ADHD yet. Although yeah. that might be um, biased sneaking in there. Yeah. Um, so, Amy, let's get straight into it. Um, what do you call your ADHD? 
Well, it's it's funny because I was thinking about this because I'm really recently diagnosed, diagnosed, mm -hmm. diagnosed even. So four months in, so I don't really talk talk about it with anybody. <laughs> if I'm honest, like this mm. is my coming out, Chris. Like this is it. Um, <laughs> But we do talk about it at home quite a bit. Um, and with my daughter, I call it mine. And because daddy has also got, her daddy mm. has also got a special and different brain. So I talk about it in that way. Um, I guess in terms of the people that I do feel like I can talk to about it. So it's not like I've not told anybody, but I've sort mm. of, I'm only at the point um, of telling people within my circle of trust, or I was until I was coming on this podcast and then I was like, I've got, to, <laughs> I've got to come out in the world. So I put a post on social media a couple of, a couple of days ago and obviously everybody's been lovely, but there's just this like worry that you have inside. But with people that I trust and, and in my business, I attract a lot of ADHD. <laughs> so we mm. all kind of, it happens, doesn't it? We attract each other. Um, I just call it my ADHD super brain really, because I remember when I was first hearing more and more about ADHD, say like two years ago, I used to be like, oh, well, it's just a superpower, isn't it? And mm -hmm. that offended some people because mm. there are, you know, it's it's two sides of a coin, isn't it? And yeah. I, I do think it is, I think it's a super brain, but I'm not sure it's a superpower because there are absolutely things about my ADHD that have, um, you know, helped me to get to where I am and you know are the, some of the brilliant parts of me but also there's some like really really difficult and frustrating parts of the ADHD so I might like with people that I don't feel comfortable saying I've got ADHD I would call it my ditzy brain or like I'm just having a moment or something like that like I you know sort of um just gloss over it a little bit and, and don't really think about it but how I how it manifests for me is I could say it's one of the most brilliant parts of me and the most frustrating parts of me so I can do like a million things at once I can put my hand up to anything I feel like I'm really being really arrogant saying this but I'm one of those people that can walk in a room and light up the room have brilliant ideas um it's helped me be really successful in what I'm doing now but I've had years of struggle to get to that and yeah. actually I still struggle to keep my house tidy make my bed remember like my best friend's birthday um it's got even worse my daughter started school last year like how does anybody keep up with all of the mm. emails and the things that you've got to remember and and all of that side of it and what had been in the past for me laid by sort of by doctors and stuff as anxiety has always led me to being prone to burning out you know like being mm. all or nothing and burning out so it is a special and different brain and that's yeah. how I would describe it. But it's, it's, it's for me been learning to harness it rather than fighting it mm -hmm. has been amazing. Um, but it's still, I, I, I get why you don't call it superpower because I don't think it, I think it can be, but it can also be like super destructive as well. Yeah. I think for me, when people kind of refer to superpowers, it's almost that thing of like, there's no downside to that superpower. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think the cost of the superpowers 
in bunny ears um yeah they're, they're quite high and yeah yeah, I, yeah. yeah it's so, almost like i mean this is a bit but mm. it's that whole you know it's the it can be our kryptonite as well you know it's mm. it's the energy that it gives you means that you can drive and do like drive forward, do things that other people can't do. But then what people don't see is like the next day that you haven't, can't get out of bed <laughs> um, because, or, you know, or can get out of bed, but are feeling completely frozen and can't do anything because you've used up all of oh. that. You know, it's that it's the all or nothing. And yeah, but I do, you know, I am a positive person and mm. as part of my coach training and stuff, a lot of what I did was around positive psychology. So I do want, I do like to look at the positives, mm-hmm. but you can't always just do that. Like you have to be aware of the things that are holding you back. And that's, I think for me, getting an ADHD diagnosis has really helped me accept those parts of me alongside the superpowers. I think there was a conversation I was having earlier this week on threads um, with actually the next guest on the podcast. Um, We were talking about the line between um, what you can change about yourself and what you have to accept about yourself and knowing the difference between the two of saying like, if you've got ADHD, ADHD is not going to go anywhere. So what's, how does it show up for you? And what, what's a realistic change for that? Yeah. Yeah. And accepting the parts mm. of accepting help with those parts. Mm. I can remember and this, you know, like I say, I was only diagnosed four months ago, but I've had like a number of different diagnoses, you know, with chronic mm. illness, diagnosis, anxiety, like I said. And um I can remember um so twelve ish years ago I was diagnosed with ME and fibromyalgia and I did a like a course as part of that and um you had to set goals at the beginning of it. And one of my, because I had had like fatigue and didn't really have any energy to do anything. One of the goals I set myself was um, by the end of the six weeks or whatever it was, 12 weeks maybe, I want to be able to iron five shirts a week for my husband. Um, And I look (laughs) on that and I'm like, whatever. By the time, it was a 12-week course. By the time I'd finished that course, I'd split up with the husband and I've never really ironed anything ever since because I've realized you know it's just not my thing like it's just not what I want to be using my energy up on and I can't be that person and I don't want to be that person um but that in itself and we'll talk about imposter (laughs) you know but that perfectionism and that like having to feel like I was brilliant at everything I Mm. did you know as often in many times in my life led to some sort of burnout and I now understand better Mm. that my brain doesn't want to iron five shirts a week why why the hell he can iron his own shirts I do not know that's why we're not married anymore um but you know it's just that understanding of yourself but Mm. also being willing to accept the help or you know get just ex- like I just accept that I don't make my bed every day sometimes I do and that's a win but you know like you get all this pressure on I saw something yeah. on social media a few weeks ago and it was some Navy chief or something and he was like you have to make your bed every day because that sets you up for the day because it sets you up for the right mindset and blah 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 and I'm like totally into mindset mm. I get the whole yeah. mind thing I'm a coach but 
ain't ever going to make my bed every day. Like for me, there's other things that will set me up well for the day. And it's accepting that rather than accept like seeing what other people who may be neurotypical may not be Mm. um, do to set up their day does not make it right for you. And it's that acceptance of being different, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. immediately when I when I hear that of saying, "Oh, you've got to make your bed every single day," I hear that as if I don't do this, I'm going to start my day on a low, and then I've yeah. got to recover from that immediate loss of not being good enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's like it's like if you set, and I I know it with clients. You'll know it as, as a coach as well. That um, when clients say to me, "Right, um, so I'm not going to the gym at all at the moment, but what mm. I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the gym five or six times a week, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" whoa. <laughs> because all you're doing is setting yourself up for a fall, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like yeah. actually understanding that about yourself and accepting that actually if i just do one small thing then that's okay but also yeah. if i don't do it it's not the end of the world yeah like don't yeah. beat yourself up I, I find and i do think that's an adhd thing you know mm. like any adhd traits they're human traits but i think we're more prone to um that all or nothing mentality but there's no point in me doing it if i can't do it for an hour why would i why would i do it like what yeah. i can't I can't fit in an hour's exercise, but you could do, fit in 15 minutes. Well, what's the point? Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, get dirty for 15 minutes. You know, it's not worth it. And yeah. it's why am I, room. why am I not immediately good at the thing that I've just started going and I've got no experience of? <laughs> I've got a great story of ADHD <laughs> with that one. <laughs> She's literally only been diagnosed oh. two weeks. Um <laughs> When she started school, so this is, you know, like whatever, she's in her 40s, um, hmm. and she's got a sister that's two years older than her, so she could, her sister could obviously read, and she started school at whatever age, it would have been five, um, and didn't want to go back on the second day because she hadn't learned to read on the first day. <laughs> she's like, well, I can't do it. I can't do it, mummy, so I'm not going back. It's I, that, fair, fair it? play. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, having to be perfect straight hmm. away at everything for sure yeah yeah, yeah. no I, I like that and well, i don't like that about myself but i i completely resonate with that um well, and that's where it can be a superpower because you can turn mm. your hand to anything and you can yeah if you're interested enough and put your mind to it enough you can literally turn your hand to anything um but it's the the beating yourself up if you can't because there's always an element like you can do anything with practice can't mm. you but um yeah. we don't want to practice we just want to do it <laughs> yeah. and I, I do want to add in the caveat here because i think this is something that is important for non-adhds and newly diagnosed adhds as well of you don't get to choose whether you're interested in it or not <laughs> you get um, so you spent most of your life up until now not having adhd and i say that in speech marks of saying yeah. like you were thought you were like everyone else so how did you kind of go from neuro bland to kind of neuro spicy <laughs> um so i mean like you say now in hindsight i look back i've looked back at the um you know the school reports and stuff like that and i can see evidence of it now but i think for me the journey i, I mentioned that burnout and the diagnosis of me and um fibromyalgia i got 12 years ago that 
um, kind of led me on a journey of personal development. So at the time there was lots and lots of stuff going on and um, I was feeling like an imposter because I had changed um, I, across my career. I've always worked in the same industry. So I've always worked in the food manufacturing industry, but I had worked, I started in a quality technical role. Then I moved into a, what's called a process development role, which is scaling new products up into the factory. Then I went into new product development itself. Didn't feel I was good enough. So I had to like do a chef's course in the evenings while I was doing that. Then I moved into being a commercial manager, which is where I was 12 years ago. And I've done two other things since then. Um, so. I'd always thought I was a little bit flaky because I always, but I, I would find I'd be in a role for a couple of, you know, maybe maximum four years, something like that, and be like bored of it, like wanting to, always wanting to learn. Like one of my core values is all about learning. Like I, I need to be learning new things all the time and pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And 12 years ago, I really pushed myself out of my comfort zone. So going from product development into a commercial role where you're basically like I was, it was multi-million pound contracts and stuff with supermarkets. Like it's, you know, proper like hard-nosed negotiation. It wasn't that hard-nosed, but like I completely told myself that I didn't know what I was doing and that I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a place because I didn't, it wasn't. I hadn't gone the traditional route everybody else had gone. And even though like people around me were saying, you can do this, you're really good at it. I wasn't believing it. And I ended up, um, long story short, with a really, and, and I also was in that marriage with the man that expected me to do the ironing for him. Um, and I ended up so burnt out that I was bed bound and um, ended up having to take three months off work. Um, it was really scary. Like one day I literally couldn't get out of bed. Like I had to crawl to go to the toilet. It was really scary. And um, I think that point, and I struggled, you know, I went down the doctor's route, you know, what's wrong with me? Didn't get anywhere. Got this diagnosis of ME and fibro. And they kind of go to you. So there's not really anything we can do for you. Like you just got to put it in a box and get on with it. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do my job. I can't do anything. Yeah. So I kind of had to look holistically, had to look outside of, you know, traditional medicine. So I did a lot, started doing lots of personal development work. So I had a health coach then and like sorted out my diet, all of that sort of stuff. But then, so for like 10 years, I've done a lot of work on myself and, um, done a lot of like brain retraining work and, and stuff like that. So already extremely self-aware. And then um so after so with the hand the pandemic hit, and I think this is all part of the story for a lot of people, isn't it, mm. that are getting these late diagnoses now. Um and I'd only been back off maternity leave um with my daughter who's now five um for a little while and I'd really struggled and now, in hindsight, I know all of this stuff about ADHD. It's, there's times when it particularly shows up for women. So in puberty, in um, when you're pregnant or postpartum, and when you're menopausal. And I um, really struggled when I was on maternity leave. Um, mentally, had like really bad anxiety. And I, I saw other mums like loving it. And I was just like totally disorganized. And really struggled with like the boredom of being a mum and um have you know like I'd 
just didn't feel as stimulated by it, particularly when you've got a small baby, they don't really do much. Um, and I didn't ever feel like I was good enough either. So I go back to work, then the pandemic hits, um, I'm furloughed and get COVID the day after I was furloughed, like badly as well, like I was really ill with it, um, with a 18 month old at home. And again, like really, really struggling with everything, just being able to cope with it. And it's like, I didn't even have to work, but I just couldn't cope with everything. Um, and then took voluntary redundancy, retrained to become a coach. That's like a whole next level of personal development because yeah. there's six months in which you're training to be a coach. You just get coached constantly. So it's like another layer of the Pandora's box came off. And then, um, then last year, so we're talking sort of 18 months ago, just started getting really, really anxious again. And, um, anxious but also like the disorganized all over the place so it's almost like because now when I look back I can see it like really manifested in my teenage years I can mm. see how it manifested um after I had my baby and then you know I had my baby late in life so I've got the double whammy of having a small child and going through the menopause um so my hormones all over the place my anxiety through the roof I go to the doctors and I'm like obviously not go to the doctors because in this day and age you don't lucky if you get a phone call but I basically said um I'm not sure if this is anxiety ADHD or the menopause what do you think and they were like well it's definitely anxiety because we can give you a pill for that so <laughs> they put me on anti-anxiety meds but it just didn't work and it didn't it didn't help and then um, I went on HRT as well, which has definitely helped, but there was still something missing. And I've had a lot of counselling as well throughout the, the time. I've had lots of stuff happen in my personal life with family and um, bereavement and stuff like that. So I was seeing a counsellor as well. And sorry, I feel like I'm going blah, 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 all over the place. There's <laughs> <laughs> so many different things that led to it because... There was also my daughter. So as she's got older and started school, I started to see traits in her. And again, that's a very like women with ADHD thing that they see it in their children. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that it wasn't normal until you like talk to other mums or, you know, whatever. And she really struggles to sleep. She's quite hyperactive, like outwardly hyperactive, all at home, not at school. She's perfect mm -hmm. at school. Um, so she masks really well at school. And um, that gave me massive imposter syndrome of I can't even be a good mother because, like, I can't help her with all of this stuff. Mm. So I started looking into it more and more. Also, my partner, um, he's got a history of, like, impulsive behavior and, you know, getting into debt and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And he went to see a psychologist. And within 30 minutes of the psychologist seeing him, he was like, have you ever had a assessment for ADHD? And he was like, uh, no, he went and had this, he did the online assessment and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just like clear that he had ADHD. So we, it just became like our hyper-focus, like I'm listening to these podcasts, he's listening to those podcasts. Although he was a bit more, he held back a little bit more than me. I'm like properly mm -hmm. like, I'm going to get into this. And then I was just, and then, you know, there's all the stuff on social media at the minute and just seeing it all. And I was just like, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I'm reading mm -hmm. in the comments, people going, um, 
that's not ADHD. Like everybody does that, don't they? And I'm thinking the same thing. And then there's people going, no, you probably need to go and get an assessment. I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, so I wasn't going to go and get a diagnosis, a formal diagnosis um, because I was like, oh, well, it's fine. Like I just need to, you know, if I can understand it and read every single book that's going on, it, it'll be fine. And then my partner went through the diagnosis um, process and he got a diagnosis back in May. So that's five months ago. And um, I found it quite difficult. Like he had the validation and I didn't have the validation. And um, I'd already thought, well, I'm not going to do it at the same time as him because we've got to, I need to be there to support him through it. Um, before I can be ready, but I was seeing a counsellor at the time and then I was just like, I'm going to do it. I went private because, you know, I don't want to, I didn't want to wait as long as you have to. Don't, my history with GPs, the NHS is with everything that happened through my ME fibromyalgia years has, it's, I just can't be, I just don't have the fight in me to go through, go through all the hoops to do it that way. And I was in the lucky position of being able to afford to get a private diagnosis. Then I nearly didn't because that flipping panorama thing came out the, literally the week before I was having my assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, well, is it even valid? Because I got my yeah. um, diagnosis through ADHD 360, which is one of the ones that was on the panorama. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, is it even valid? Is it all in my head? You know, all of that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, had the assessment. Even when they're asking the questions, you're like, oh, like it's re- mm. obviously they're asking you questions that are very, you know, um, they're leading questions because they're looking for yeah. something. But actually, when they were asking me the questions about childhood, because I always just thought, well, I, I don't think I displayed it in childhood. And when they mm. were asking me questions, I was like, oh, right, okay, because. I realise now uh, I internalised it all as a child, you know, and yeah. when I look back to when I was really little, like I was a big performer, I had all the energy, I had all of that, and then I think I just learnt to mask. So I just remember being feeling very different, being on my own in my bedroom, all of that sort of, you know, stuff that people talk about. Um, and, yeah, so I don't even know where, how, how I got to saying that. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, um, you know, I'd opened that can of worms. I then went and got the um, the assessment done. And it, that process was really, really validating. And they, they, I got the triple whammy. They diagnosed me with inattentive, impulsive and hyperactive, which people would say like the hyperactive, I'm not particularly an active mm. person, but it's in hyperactive. I mean, you can hear yeah. it in my <laughs> my head as well um so I got the triple whammy and then I was like I'm not gonna I'm not interested in being medicated you know because of my past experiences and like I oh, will just give you some citalopram and yeah. go away kind of thing and then I got a FOMO as well because my partner <laughs> was on <laughs> and it was helping it didn't have you know it was hard to start with but then I could just mm. see he was just so much calmer and this that and the other so I did try, I have tried medication and it does mm-hmm. make me calmer. Um, and that in itself has been really validating for me because if you take amphetamines and you've got mm-hmm. a neurotypical brain, you're yeah. on speed. Yeah. Um, I take them and I just feel this sense of calm. So it's almost like that was the final bit of validation for me. 
I probably won't take medication for a long time or I might just take it now and then. But the very fact that I took it and it calmed my brain down, I was like, yeah, okay, you have this thing and now you can start being compassionate to yourself about it. So that's my... Yeah. It it, it sounds to me like there's almost like a little bit of imposter syndrome in your ADHD diagnosis of saying it it wasn't enough to self-diagnose and it wasn't enough to have the diagnosis without the medication yeah 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 Yeah, absolutely i still get it like i still Mm. have these moments where i'm like Mm. oh you're just making it up aren't you i think the hardest thing and i think it's hard like if i talk to when i talk to other adhders like you Mm. like we get it and it's fine but when you try and explain it to people that either are neurotypical or undiagnosed (laughs) um probably the undiagnosed Mm. of a are more likely to see it when you explain the traits because they're just human traits people mm. kind of go well everybody everybody does that and it's like well yeah but it's like everybody does it but it doesn't like take over your life and it's it's yeah. the it, it's the extremes to how much these things affect you that makes it adhd rather than you know just losing your keys occasionally yeah I think I used to describe it, well, up until last week, I described it as everyone's got a height. Everyone has got a height, but not many people are three foot and a half and not many people are seven foot and a half. And then I heard someone else kind of talking about it um, through the terms of addiction and saying, everyone has a drink, Mm. but not everyone has a drink every single day and gets absolutely blind drunk. It's like, yeah, we all drink. Yeah. yeah oh yeah and that's that thing of like like, it's the extremes of it it's that thing of yes we all do these things sometimes because it is a mental continuum yeah but if it takes you five attempts to get a glass of water to your bedside table like it did to me the other night (laughs) (laughs) it might be worth looking into right yeah yeah exactly and uh, i think also it's like once you start to understand it better there's a lot you just start to understand yourself better and there's things like um like stimming that I didn't know was a thing I remember thinking I was weird and it it I still do it now but like Mm. as a teenager when I sat in the cinema I always had to go like this under my nails like and it's not like I don't have a choice I have to do it it's like a compulsion Mm. um and I'm doing it now (laughs) um (laughs) you know like (laughs) It's a, it's, that's a really small thing, isn't it? But all of Mm. those things like build up and they make you feel weird. Like you're weird and different and weird and different being a bad thing, which I get because of all the neuroscience Mm. and the, you know, Mm. we all want to be, feel like we belong. And it's, that's the, that's what I find really hard about ADHD because you kind of do have that feeling inside of wanting to belong and want, you know, wanting to be accepted by other people, but then you don't want to be dull. I want to be different and you, you know like it but yeah it's just that that constant battle is too strong a word but mm. like contradiction that goes on inside yeah yeah i think it's almost that thing of we want to be different we want to be special but we don't want anyone to look at us and think about us in a different way yeah 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 we want to be yeah maybe we've got massive inflated egos as well <laughs> I think there's, there's there's multiple things on there, isn't there? With ego, it's like it's either I'm the best person ever to do these things, or I have absolutely no skill at all, 
and yeah. I think there's I've, I've just read uh, listened to the metacognition episode of the ADHD adults podcast mm. and we are really bad at self-reporting on what we do <laughs> because yeah. that plays into it as well that's interesting because at the beginning when you said when how do you want me to introduce you and I was like I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like whatever. I should have been like um, award-winning podcaster because I am, you know, like yeah. this, that, and the other. And I just went, oh, I'm a coach, you know. It's like, and and even just well, and this comes on to the imposter syndrome mm. thing is that yeah. the even recognizing in yourself the things that you were good at, like mm. I think everybody, you know, we know as coaches, everybody has that inner critic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've all got negativity bias, everybody, but people with ADHD, it's just dialed up that much bigger and it's like yeah. dismisses everything. Um, yeah. anything that's any sort of achievement is like, nah, yeah. it, you will be yeah. in it. Yeah. I think it's, um, I don't know if you've read time to think, yeah. um, by Nancy Klein. I think she yeah. says it's, I, I could be misquoting her. I think it's six pieces of positive feedback for one negative yeah. feels about um, on average the norm for neurotypicals. Okay. And yeah, I, I would say it's probably three or four times that for myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, let's go. Let's talk. See, let's talk I'm about like, what we're here yeah, I've read time to think. I didn't read that bit because I'm really good yeah. at reading the first third of every book I read. I've got a load of them behind me. Ask, oh, what, don't ask me about the endings <laughs> of any of them. <sighs> um, so imposter syndrome, what is it, first of all? Okay, so imposter mm. syndrome. I think it's a term that gets bandied about quite a lot these days. Mm. And I think it can be a little bit misconstrued because I think people just call it imposter syndrome when they're when it's just self-doubt. Like, we all yeah. have self-doubt. I think it's normal to have self-doubt. Um, you know, if you're going into a new situation or whatever. I think imposter syndrome, and this isn't like a dictionary definition, this is the Amy de- definition, is actually, rather than it just being ordinary self-doubt, it's like an unrelenting fear that you are going to be found out, that you're constantly feeling like you're a fraud. Um, exact, you know, some of the stuff that we've just talked about in terms of that, uh, they're going to find me out. They're going to, mm-hmm. they, I'm just winging it. Everybody else knows what they're doing, but I'm just winging it. And how imposter syndrome shows up for me and for a lot of my clients actually is that feeling the need to be perfect. So that mm-hmm. total perfectionism, which can lead to massively overworking. So I'll, you know, so I work with a lot of women on confidence and I'll be like, when you are, a lot of the time it's people that have just like been put into a senior position at work and they're now like in a senior team meeting. What makes you feel confident going into the senior team meeting? Well, if I've done everything perfectly and I know the answer Mm -hmm. to absolutely everything, then I'll be confident. I'll be confident when I feel, have all of those things. And what that actually means, well, (laughs) A, we all know perfection, like, at a like uh what's the word intellectual level i love the fact that i can think of the word intellectual (laughs) (laughs) um on an intellectual level we all know perfectionism doesn't really exist because it's like in the eye of the beholder and like everybody's idea of perfect is different but what happens is we 
it, it, we feel like it has to be our own level of perfect, which mm-hmm. means you end up working till midnight, um, not looking after yourself and putting everything, like whatever the situation is, because I, like you say, there's, I've definitely felt like an imposter in different parts of my life. And I'll talk about the work one. Um, mm. But I've also feel like an imposter as a mum. I feel like an imposter as an adhd Um I feel like imposter every time somebody asks me to come on a podcast or go on a panel or any of those things. Um, and it's sifting between what is normal self-doubt and what is that real feeling of imposter which goes right down to your root core which is basically that belief of i am not good enough and everybody's going to find out and they're going to know about it and it's and for me i probably don't get imposter syndrome as much in a work capacity but i still get it as a mum quite a bit um because i i I don't think i'll ever be good enough as a mum um and what so i'll tell you about my experience if that's useful Mm. of like um when it showed up the worst for me. So it was all in this burnout time that I talk about 12 years ago. So I had moved from this MPD role, which is quite, um, it's quite creative and um, it was all people management and stuff like that, like totally my core set of skills. And I wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone. I've always been that person, but it's a very different skill set um, to be a commercial manager in the food industry. So um, I worked in fruit at the time, which is very um, fast paced. So I'm literally on the phone at six o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock at night to like buyers saying, we're going to short this order. There's pineapple stuck in this port, this, that and the other, like very um, outside of my comfort zone, the things that I was having to do. Like I didn't even like to phone for a taxi <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs> I still don't really, or for a takeaway or whatever, but mm-hmm. I was having to phone up like buyers of big supermarkets and stuff like that. Totally having that, like, I'm not good enough feeling going on. Um, I worked in an office for, like, there was me and one other female, I know there was a couple of female um, uh, commercial managers, but all the rest were like middle-aged men that had done the job forever. And I thought the way they were doing it was the right way. It wasn't. <laughs> they were sat watching <laughs> Wimbledon on their laptops when I was actually going out and doing the job well. And I kept mm. constantly asking my boss for, I need negotiation skills training. I need mm-hmm. Excel training. I need this, that and the other. And he'd just be like, Amy, you don't need any of those things. Like you're the best negotiator I've ever met. You're really good at this. You're really good at that. And it would just go in one ear and out mm. the other. I just didn't believe it. And then the other way that, so I think the imposter syndrome can really show up as not feeling like um, you can let any kind of balls drop because then you're going to get found out. So I looked after a particular retailer and like I was the lead and Mm -hmm. I would find myself papering over the cracks for other departments. So because Mm -hmm. for me, the success of that account and what we were doing I mean it was selling cut up fruit in pots but you know like it feels like the end of the world I have learned to say now it's only fruit in a pot (laughs) but but it felt like it really mattered and I had to do everything um, to make sure that everything was all right so that would mean that you know I'm supposed to be the numbers person the negotiation person but I would be in the factory (laughs) 
helping cut up bits of mango. It's like, what are you doing? I was writing technical specs. They were all, because I'd got all of this breadth of experience, I could do all of those things. But I felt like I had to be the one that did it all because otherwise people were going to find out that, and the people being the retailer at that point, that I didn't know what I was doing or we didn't know what I was doing. So it kind Mm. of led to that martyrdom of having to do everything for everybody. And even though all of the evidence was there that I was doing a really good job, I mean, I got nominated for an award by the supermarket for like being the best commercial manager or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, but that's not true because they don't know. They don't know that I've been up to midnight doing everything. So how can it, it doesn't mean that I'm good? It just means I'm really yeah. good at baking it. And that's the that's, <laughs> that's the difference between imposter syndrome and a little bit of self doubt going into a meeting or whatever. And mm. that's why I get frustrated when people call. imposter syndrome when it is just a little bit of self-doubt um and I think like I say I I I still get it and I still Mm. have those moments but what I've learned to do and I can talk about some of the ways that I do it is to accept it as part of me in the same way I've accepted you know I'm starting to accept ADHD as being part of me Because when I've then looked into ADHD and there's all the rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, imposter syndrome is like a big thing because we never feel like we fit in. Accepting it and then working with it um, helps me so much more than trying to like push it away. Just accepting it's part of the human experience and that it will come up sometimes. But working noticing when it's coming up and doing something about it i think has been different is is the difference for me now yeah so what i'm hearing is that hang of it's this drive for perfection it's this kind of striving for control over what is not controllable it's this especially within an adhd lens of masking your adhd so that's unconsciously you appear like everyone else and you can do the mm-hmm. same thing as everyone else. Mm-hmm. There is within ADHD also like the rejection sensitivity. So any criticism kind of comes in 10, 15, 20 times harder than it could be. Yeah. Um, the other one that I kind of had on my thoughts of, of around ADHD and imposter syndrome was around self-esteem as well. I don't know if yeah. you've got any reflections on that. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I would say it's all of those things, but it is fundamentally feeling like you are a fake. Like it's mm. feeling... And I think the masking probably mm. is part of that. That's why we feel like such imposters, because for so long we've masked and didn't even know we were masking. But I mm. absolutely think it's um, at its root core is um, linked to self-esteem. Because I always think, you know, those... and. Don't get me wrong. Everybody mm. has these moments. I did a um, I did a workshop a few weeks ago with like people from that had got like zero experience up to you know people that were near to retirement, and we did a thing about confidence. And everybody admitted to you know we don't feel confident all of the time, but there are people that you see that have got that um, true sense of. Um, feeling good enough you know ultimately and mm. I think when I look back even right back to primary school I can remember feeling really low in self-esteem and feeling like I was 
the odd one out and different. And I was because we'd moved. So we moved down to London from the north when I was little. So I had a different accent. So I was two or three. So a different accent to everybody else. But now, like, I've had so much therapy about this stuff. And when I look back, like, I used to think, you know, because I was bullied, I was this, that, and the other. But I think a lot of it, I don't want to say I created it in my own head because mm. I didn't, you know, that's not how it works, you know. Yeah. Well, well, it is. It's how you react to the world around you. Mm. But I think that low self-esteem the whole way through has always made me feel like I'm different mm. and not in a good way different. Yeah. When other people said that, like neurotypical people will say to me, and I, I'm thinking of like old bosses and stuff like that, and mm. they're just like, what? your differences like uh, they make you so amazing and they make mm. you light up a room and they make you do all of those things and all I'm thinking inside is yeah but everyone thinks I'm a bit of a dick don't I am I allowed to say yeah. dick <laughs> <laughs> yeah. bleep it uh, if I'm not that's fine it's fine it's fine Barely so I do think it. it's absolutely linked to mm. your core self-esteem and that's a hard thing to work on and I think that's the point is there has to be a level of self-compassion and a level of self-acceptance to help come overcome imposter syndrome. But also that acceptance has to be that it's always going to be there to a certain degree. Yeah. So what helps? So, um, I use various techniques mm. with myself and with clients that I work with. I think a mm. big one for me oh. is about, gathering the evidence and mm -hmm. like actually holding it onto it. I can remember a client very early on when I was training and we um, talked about, she, she talked about compliments being like hot potatoes. So like somebody would, would give you a compliment and you chuck it away. You know, it's just like, Oh, I can't hold on to that. And it's even like, we all do it. Like when people are like, Oh, I really like your dress. Oh, well, I got it in a charity shop, you know, like downplaying mm -hmm. ourselves. So actually finding ways to, gather the evidence that you are not an imposter and um, writing it down and keeping hold of that. And sometimes making it a visual can really, really help. So I have a thing called a Tada list. I even have a book that I've got behind me that's pub it's, it's a journal that I published on um, Amazon because I, I, needed, I needed it for myself. So with that, that is a daily practice of just writing, you know, just doesn't need to take more than five or 10 minutes. But writing down the things that have gone well that day, um, and so I call them my mini tadars. What have I done well? Um, and then a bit of reflection on, you know, what could make tomorrow even better. Maybe a little bit of gratitude, but just those little check-ins to try and change the. I hate using coachy words. I'm trying to think of a word that's not coachy, yeah. but aren't narrative. <laughs> change yeah, the yeah. narrative of, uh, which is basically what's going on inside your head of. Mm -hmm. of what you were talking about, like the constantly thinking negatively versus positively. So really concentrating on those positives um, and learning to do that for yourself, which can be really hard. So I would say like almost like a step back from that is if you struggle to do that yourself, and I think mm -hmm. this is particularly the case in ADHD and um more sensitive people we need external validation mm -hmm. so we, if we can't do it like the ultimate is to be able to do it yourself and sit there and like the 
the star list, the front of the book, I've got like write down every achievement you've ever had in your life. Swimming badges, the lot, do it all. But that can be really hard because we don't necessarily see those things as achievements. Mm. We're like, oh, yeah, I can do that. But (laughs) can't everybody. So actually getting that from other people. So when I took the leap into self-employment, I sat down. It was locked down and we were only allowed to meet outside. So I sat in a local park with a friend that I'd worked with as well. So she knew different parts of me and got her to help me write down all of the great things about me because it just felt icky doing it myself. But actually getting the support of somebody else to do that. So, you know, whether that's a friend, whether that's a coach, you know, whether it's colleagues from work, I even did, this is so cringeworthy, Chris. <laughs> I, when I first set up, because these, but these are all mm. the things that have helped me turn it around, like from being burnt out to like being successful mm. in the business. Um, I put on Facebook, I put like an anonymous survey, a link on a Google sheet, and it was anonymous. And I put three words, um, can you send me three words you would use to describe me? And people are largely nice. So they put mm. nice things. There was some, things about the size of my boobs which was inappropriate um but everything else was like you know really positive words and it kind of helps with that reaffirming that you are you know the things that you don't believe about yourself other people do believe those things about you um so do allow yourself that external validation if if you need it and another thing that I go through because obviously I can never be consistent with anything but when I need it I go through um stages I've got like a little notebook that I carry around in my bag and when I get um a good piece of feedback or just something somebody's nicer to me on a call or something like that I jot it down in there I call it my positivity pocketbook because I think even if you never go back and look at it the the act of writing these things down rather than letting them whir around in your head can really help because you've literally got evidence written down on paper and it, it cements it more in your brain. Um, so it's, it is all about that kind of evidence and acceptance. So I do, I know other people that like um, have like a board, you know, like a, um, a you know, uh, up on the wall and put, achievements on there and stuff like that so whatever works for you in terms of that visual reminder or um Mm -hmm. just a way of having the evidence that you're not an imposter but I actually think so that's all like Mm. stuff that you can do like preventative like to almost treat it (laughs) um but it's kind of what do you do in that moment because that's all well and good, but we still have those moments mm. where we're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't believe they've just asked me to do that or, like, they're all going to catch me out. I think that's when you need that acceptance and to yeah. be able to label it and go, oh, flipping it, the imposter's back. So mine's called Maud, um, and I've named her, and she pops up in those moments, and I'll sort of, like, have a little conversation with Maud in my head Thanks for mm-hmm. like it's fine. Like I know this is scary, but we'll get through it. <laughs> I feel like people can <laughs> be listening to this and watching this and be like, "Oh my god, what's she on about?" But <laughs> I think that it's the acceptance and the separation of yourself mm. from what is an unhelpful thought um, yeah. in the whole imposter syndrome can be really, really helpful. So, yeah, I think Notice it's about gathering the evidence and then working on. Mm techniques that help you in that moment where it's like full self-doubt and feeling like you can get found out going on 
I've got so many notes I want to share back with you. Number <laughs> one, number one, you're Tada. Um, you're Tada artist. Um, so I don't know if you know that the French for ADHD is T D A H. Oh, I did know that. So that's <laughs> I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah. So I was, I was like, that is such an ADHD thing. It's beautiful. I love it. And so there's something in there for you. Um, I'm like, well, I'm going to launch version two then, and that's specifically for people with ADHD. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think the other thing I, I was kind of capturing as well was when you were writing down about capturing your successes, something that I found really difficult when I was writing down my successes, I was like, yeah, but everyone does that. Everyone can do this. Everyone can do that. And First, that the not everyone can, yeah. And secondly, um, I got called out by my coach on this of saying, actually, if it's a win for you, if it's something that you didn't think you could do or something that you wanted to do and you achieved it, it still counts as a win and you should be marking that as a success, yeah. So it's not in anyone else's eyes of saying, like, this is success, yeah, yeah. It's it's what feels like a win for you in that moment, mm. and I think, yeah. um sometimes particularly with things like ADHD like it can be I got dressed (laughs) when I really didn't want to like I think that's the thing it doesn't have to be like Mm. I think you know accepting that we need a certain amount of external validation is one thing but it's Mm. like you say it's what what feels like success to you and that's why I've got that journal because it forces you to write down three things, even when you can't think of three things, because there will be three things that you've achieved in a day that don't feel like achievements. But I also think as well, like you're saying about, it doesn't feel um, like everyone can do that. I thought before I became a coach and did all of the work and, you know, did, you know, we just get into this whole self-development world, don't we? Um, That, I couldn't understand why. So my my job after the burnout and everything, I went into marketing and stuff. And part of what you have to do is more like for own label um, stuff. So it's not like big TV marketing campaigns. It's like selling stuff into retailers. And I used to be really good at taking loads and loads of complex data. I'm capable of doing the data, not interested in it at all, but I can do it <laughs> if I have to. But I could make that really simple. And I could like take Mm -hmm. reams and reams and reams of data and come out with three salient points and put them on a slide and everybody got it and just nailed it. And I was just like, well, everybody can do that, can't they? (laughs) And they absolutely can't. Um, So that's where I think that's where the external, when I call it external validation, I think it's actually getting people to point out those things to you. And also Mm -hmm. think about what are the things that, um people always come to you for like friends and stuff so all my friends used to come to me for help with their cv and um interview questions and they so that's all helped me understand myself better that they're they're my strengths but you can do online strengths tests and stuff like that as well because that helps as well to just raise your awareness of what you're good at that other people aren't good at yeah I've done a lot of strengths-based coaching as in like I've been coached in strengths-based and I use it in my own practice as well. I think it's that thing of saying like your strengths change over time, mm-hmm. like every part of you, but saying actually I'm one of my strengths is kindness. And as I kind of leaned into it, it's more and more mm-hmm. of saying, actually I now lead with that strength of kindness, even though it was like five, seven, eight months ago. And it's that thing yeah. of like, it has such an impact because yeah. you lean into your strengths and you get the wins. Yeah. Um, and I think that's such a learning, isn't it, for ADHD? Mm. And that's the superpower versus the 
weaknesses that it brings for us mm. if you lean into the powers like you still need to be aware of the bits that don't work for you mm. and you know get an ironing lady which is what i ended up doing or whatever the thing is that you really mm. struggle with but actually leaning into though the the superpower bits of it that's when mm-hmm. you start to shine and when you start and i i don't mean shine in other people's eyes i mean internally shine for yourself mm. So for me, like embracing um, all the bits, one of the big things for me, and again, it was a personality profiling thing. I did the disc profiling, you know, with the colors and everything. And um, that helped me accept that I love talking, performing, you know, I'm really yellow, Um, Mm -hmm. love performing, talking. I was like, oh, that's why I randomly launched a podcast in the middle of lockdown that's why I actually quite enjoy speaking on stages and owning that because I was a little bit ashamed of that like a bit the imposter was going but you know you're not good enough to stand on a stage well, actually I am I can own it and that's the that leaning into those strengths and that's why I'm so into the strength-based stuff the um positive psychology like Yes, you need to be aware of your blind spots, but actually, if you can embrace the great things about yourself, ADHD or not, then you just feel more content. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not even content. It's more than that. You know, you just feel in flow and you feel happier um, if you play to your strengths rather than constantly beating yourself up over the weaknesses. And I think that's been my learning about imposter syndrome has been accepting it will always be there um but choosing not to listen to it (laughs) and choosing to listen to the other bit and dial up the other bit the bit that counteracts it and I think that's you know that's made a massive difference if I you know and I can you know sit here and say I'm proud of where I've come from you know being bed bound 12 years ago because I was so burnt out because I felt like an imposter to running a successful business feeling like I'm making an impact in other people's lives that's all been about learning to play towards my strengths and accept the parts of me that I didn't want to accept before and that's you know all of that is wrapped up in ADHD and I never knew it until a few months ago probably a year ago like when I got it like before I went and got the diagnosis but stop you know self-diagnosed probably a year ago and it all makes sense now (laughs) and I I do I do want to kind of call out this thing of saying 12 years ago you changed and you became successful I think there's that thing of saying like you are already successful it was just costing you too much yeah oh absolutely on the outside yeah I would have said, you know, people would have said I was more successful then because I was this, mm. you know, I was a senior manager at, mm. it, like before I was 30. I, yep. you know, and I'd always succeed, you know, I said about all those job hops I did. I was always really mm. successful in all of them. I think the burnout made me feel like such a failure though. Like when I, because I struggled on for 18 months after, like I'd been bed bound, I then, like, I was pushing myself and then ending up back in bed for about 18 months and then took three months off to like have a reset and the shame I felt for that um was really uh, you know has been really hard Uh, physically recovering has been hard as well physically and mentally but that shame but now having to like looking back with a different lens 
of understanding because I can look I can see a similar thing happen in my teen years as well mm. that a lot of it was because of ADHD and a brain development issue not mm. because I'm a total mess up which is what I told myself so many times yeah. I think yeah yeah and I think there's this thing of kind of I wrote a little bit about this this week of saying like not having a label for the parts of your brain that work differently results in you having labels for the behaviors and there's yeah. assumed motives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? And it's really interesting because, you know, three years ago when I started training to be a coach and stuff and I'd, I really got in, got really interested in neuroscience very quickly. Like that was the bit that I found the most interesting. And I think, and I do a lot of work. I use like um, Steve Peters' chimp paradox with teams mm -hmm. and stuff to like help them understand, you know, simply the different parts of your brain and stuff like that. And for them, you know, neurotypical or not, um, that you know i can see how just having that simple understanding of um when i when i'm terrified going into a meeting or when i'm about to lose it with my partner that is this this specific part of my brain brain doing that like understanding the science of it well for me but for a lot of them as well really helps to separate it from being part of your self-worth doesn't it it's like mm. it's it doesn't, it doesn't, um, cause I don't want people to think it's like, oh, well, you just blame it. Like, cause I, I mm. worry that people think that, that, well, oh, you're just going to say it's your ADHD now. Not, not at all, mm. but it's the self-compassion of understanding that rather than just beating yourself up going, oh yeah. God, I've done, gone and done that again. Yeah. It's more like, oh God, I've gone and done that again. And yeah. now I know what I need to do, you know, put, putting things in place. I mean, in our household, we've just done really simple things like putting a key hooks by the door so that we actually hang up our keys. Like, I know it's so neurotypical, that's going to sound ridiculous, but it's been a game changer for us. Yeah. And we hadn't thought to do that before because we were just like, well, you know, we just lose our keys, don't we? We'll get a yeah. bit of tech and put them on our keys and then lose that, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's that thing of like you get your diagnosis nothing else changes in your life you still have to go to work you still have to do the job you still have to turn up and you still have to look after the kids it's that thing of like nothing changes it's just that thing of you don't have to feel quite so bad about yourself all the way through the day yeah 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 absolutely yeah and my friend um that got a diagnosis a couple of weeks ago she was because I really did I'm not going to lie, like the first few days after the diagnosis and you've seen my video that I put on social mm. media, like I really struggled like with that feeling of grief, mm. um, not blame for anybody or anything because the neuroscience didn't exist. People didn't, you know, I was born in 1978, you know, like uh, when I was a kid in the early 80s, I remember like it being really forward thinking that a good friend of mine at primary school got um, diagnosed with dyslexia. Like it just mm. wasn't that in itself was like that was the only sort of um neuro spicy thing that was talked about yeah um but the grief for if i just hadn't beaten myself up so much for the last 40 odd years i could have achieved so much more feeling yeah. inside yeah. um but <laughs> but then a, a paradox of that is 
why do I feel like I need to achieve all the time? <laughs> like sometimes a win for me. I took the day off on Friday and I watched Netflix in bed until midday. That is actually mm. an achievement for me because the way I've always dealt with my, you know, the hyperactivity part of me is the bit that always takes over. So when I'm um, not in a good place, I'll just work harder. Um, so it's actually a massive achievement for me to be able to rest. Mm. I can only do it if I've got, like, if I don't get out of bed, because once I'm out of bed, then I feel like I should be doing jobs. I, yes. I have to, like, walk, uh, walk with um, the iPad around the house while I'm cleaning, like, cleaning up or whatever. <laughs> but even that, like, mm. that acceptance. So I've learned, because of everything I've learned about ADHD, if I want to fold laundry and do something boring, mm. I need to put headphones in and have music on or a podcast on. And then I can do it. It becomes enjoyable. If I try and do it without, I get halfway through and I get so bored, I don't want to do it. Yeah. yeah. So and it is the self-acceptance bit. Yeah. I think it's I think of like I am constantly walking around with one headphone in now, constantly mm. trying to find music and podcasts and something just to kind of keep the brain busy whilst I'm doing the thing that I should be doing. I'm um, wryly smiling here because I'm like, well, at the moment I'm walking around with one in because I lost one of them. Because I was like, Amy, you're on a dog walk in nature. Take your headphones out. Just listen to the birds, you know, be mindful. And I didn't have the case and I put it in my coat pocket. And obviously, like, it's been chucked in a field somewhere. Um, So, yeah, I only walk around with one one in at the moment because of that too. I have got a product recommendation. I have okay. got one. So my Google Pixel earbuds, they track the individual earbud oh. and tell you where it was last, where it was last connected to your phone. That is good, isn't it? Yeah. And it also plays a sound for it if it's still got battery as well, so you can find it. Yeah, yeah. But my other half has to have that because he loses his all the time. In fact, if you ask my daughter about uh, her dad, like what's the most annoying mm. thing, she's like... Just find earbuds in like <laughs> random places all the time. So we had to get him. He's got those ones actually, but I'd never actually thought about getting them for myself. So mm. thanks. No, it's yeah, it was a real game changer. I I used to think that I was really good at finding things, and I am really good at finding things. But that is not a skill that most neurotypicals need because they don't lose things so often. <laughs> It is funny because, like, my partner does lose things more than me, mm. and our house is messy, and you know, our daughter's messy, we're messy. He's he's mm. tidier than me, but he'll tidy things up and put them away, and then not know where they are. Whereas mm. if we just leave the house untidy, he'll be like, "Do you know where something is?" And I'm like, mm. "Oh yeah, it's you know, it'll be something, mm. <laughs> you know, it's like a glass yeah. or something or a, mm. a spoon that you need." I'm like, "Yeah, it's in our bedroom at the back there on the left hand side of the TV, like <laughs> completely." Not the place that it should be, but I'll know where it is. But if he tidies mm. it up, that's it. It's gone. So, yeah. yeah. Are you looking for a paperclip? It's in the office on the floor behind the left leg of the um, filing cabinet. Yeah. And it's like, well, why have you never moved it? Well, I didn't yeah. want to. I know where it is. Oh, dear. thank you so much. I think we're kind of coming to the end as well. We've only got about a few minutes left. I know. I told and... you I could talk about myself that's good. that's good that's good i think what i'd like to do now is kind of talk about like what what have we learned today and i think what i have learned is we need to accept imposter syndrome is always going to be there mm-hmm. we need to go out and ask other people what they think about us because we're really bad at it and a tip that i would give to you possibly is when you're talking to maud is 
asking her what's the worst that would happen if you do um, mess it up mm. because usually the even messing it up it might go wrong but it's not going to be that bad yeah 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 that's one of my favorite questions i even say it to my daughter who's five like mm. what's the worst that's going to happen yeah. um and it it's never as bad as you think it's going to be no. no and what have you learned today what's what should people be taking away i think that acceptance piece for me mm. is the most important thing and acceptance but self-compassion with it as well mm. and i think particularly you know a lot of us that are getting late diagnosis it's being able to give yourself the self-compassion that you haven't given yourself for the last however many years because you thought there was something wrong with you you thought you were an imposter because you weren't so actually learning to have that self-compassion and if you have a maud in your head we all have a maud in our head they will call different things i think that what the worst could, could happen thing is a really great way of talking to it but also asking that that voice in your head like what is you know what no let me rephrase that it's about thinking about that voice in your head in the same way you would a child a friend you know giving maud or who, whatever it's called that mm -hmm. same self-compassion because if you just try to beat that self part of yourself up it's just the imposter's going to get worse and worse so actually just accepting sometimes you feel this self-doubt and that's okay and sometimes you just need to do something to help yourself in that situation um and i think also that whole so the self-compassion and then i think the other bit for me is the um playing to your strengths bit like actually rather than like focusing on those weaknesses absolutely get support on your weaknesses but if once you start playing into your strengths the imposter gets quieter and mm. you actually start to enjoy being you and enjoy and feel like that sense of flow in yourself um and therefore you're not you no longer feel like you're an imposter because it all just feels good yeah yeah i think i've got one more tip one more tip because I just remembered it as you were talking. I was like, oh, um, I went on, a public, went on a public speaking um, thing not too long ago. And they one of the things that they asked me was to look at the audience mm -hmm. and to really kind of think about the audience as opposed to what I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, like, what do you want them to be taking away from this? What do you want them to be feeling at the end of this? As yeah. opposed to going... Oh, I'm feeling I'm wrapped up in all my own emotions. Of saying, yeah. actually, if this other person, what are they? What am I hoping that they take away from it? And by saying that and being in service of the person that's listening, you can kind of reduce that down, and it's yeah. not about you. Yeah, you're taking the focus away <laughs> from you onto the, read the room, read the faces in the room, and actually have that compassion for those people listening, not just thinking about yourself. Really nice. So, Amy, how can people listen to your podcast? How can they get in touch with you? So the podcast is called Oh For Food's Sake. Um, 
and you can get it in all the usual podcast places we haven't quite got on youtube yet but we will be soon because my i, I co-host it with my friend uh, lucy wager it is around the food industry but actually it's about personal development um mm-hmm. and then the place i hang out the most online is linkedin i am a little bit addicted to linkedin if i'm completely honest give <laughs> so me there brilliant thank you so much amy it's been such a joy talking to you Thank you. And um, thank you for encouraging me to come out properly as an ADHD online. This is it. The cat is totally out of the bag now. It's much funner here. <laughs> <laughs> and that is it for today's episode of This is ADHD. I hope that you've enjoyed today's conversation with Amy as much as I enjoyed having it. I think it's difficult to overcome something like imposter syndrome when you can't see someone else that has already done so. I hope that by sharing Amy's story today, that it gives you something tangible that you can hold onto in your own journey with imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is so rife for many of us within the ADHD community and outside of it. Um, What really stuck out for me today was that giving the imposter a name. I think that's something that I'm going to try in my own practice um, to be able to kind of distance yourself from that internal voice and being able to have that conversation with essentially yourself, taking away the power of that narrative. If you want to learn more about Amy's work and stay connected, be sure to kind of find her and follow her on social media. You can find her on Instagram at Amy Wilkinson coach and on LinkedIn searching for Amy Wilkinson. Um, You can also follow the podcast on Instagram and threads. Just search for this is ADHD podcast. This is where you'll find thoughts, updates, polls, opportunities to engage uh, fellow listeners, I'm really interested to kind of hear your feedback on this episode and all the other episodes. Um, You can also find myself um, by searching on all platforms for The Coaching Blacksmith. Um, Let me know if you've got any ideas for future episodes or if you want to come on as a guest. Um, I really do love hearing from you. And I don't know if I would have continued with the podcast if I hadn't had your feedback on how valuable this has been. Um, As always, thank you so much for joining us on This Is ADHD. Um, I hope this was an informative and engaging episode for you.